Hello, everyone, and welcome to Never Seen It. This is a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I will be your host today. My name is Betsy, and with me, as always, is Trent. Hey, Betsy. So today, we have decided to continue on in 2023. We can't go and watch Barbie without doing the full 2023 movie experience of the year. Mm -hmm. We are doing the second half of the Barbenheimer experience. We are watching Oppenheimer today. Indeed. So Trent, obviously, this is a very diametrically opposed movie from Barbie but it is getting a lot of positive reviews in its own right. A yes. lot of people have really liked this one. Yep. So Trent, tell the people what you know about Oppenheimer. There's a bomb. What? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't technically start with a bomb. There I is assume, a bomb. I, but eventually. I, spoilers, there's a bomb. Because Christopher Nolan is Christopher Nolan. There's a real bomb. Christopher Nolan will not stop until half of the world is dead. <laughs> And he's captured it on film. That's right. <laughs> Literal film. Yeah. Um, so Oppenheimer, I have been looking forward to this now for a very long time. And so has Christopher Nolan, because I remember back a year ago, like a full, full year ago, I saw the first teaser or trailer or something about this damn movie. They have been promoting the ever loving shit out of it ever since then. They have indeed. And the Barbie thing was just a bonus. Like, I, yeah. I feel like this movie is one that probably would have done well on its own, but because it got mm -hmm. grouped together with a completely different sort of movie on yep. the same weekend, it got the extra boost. And yeah. so it's trailing Barbie, but not by much. And I do not give a flying fuck about box office numbers or no. anything like that. It does not matter. Barbie's a PG-13 movie. A bunch of people are going to go and see it because it's about two hours long. You're only going to want to see Oppenheimer maybe once. Yeah, the R-rated biopic yeah. that is three hours long. Exactly. So that's you're comparing apples and oranges here. It is the a marketing or distributor fucking genius of putting Barbie and Oppenheimer out on the same day to ride the coattails of whatever it is. Christopher Nolan should be fucking happy that... This happened. I know he's not. Mr. I want my movies in the theater. Right. And Tenet bombed. I mean, fucking, yeah, yeah. Tenet bombed because of the uh, the pandemic and everything. And the person who should really be pissed off is Tom Cruise. Because Oppenheimer pushed the Mission Impossible movie out of the IMAX theaters, the big format theaters. Pushed it out after two weeks. And it's just been nothing but Oppenheimer. And yes, we are going to go to the theater and watch this. We are not seeing it on a big IMAX screen. We because, don't have Because one. we don't have IMAX around us. So we're going to see it in the bigger, like, stadium seating kind of a theater like we normally do. But it's not the huge one. It's going to be the biggest experience that we can get at this time yeah. where we are. Yeah. So anyway, so talking about the movie itself, you kind of don't really need to say much. It's... Killian Murphy playing the titular character. I love saying the word titular. <laughs> um, and by all accounts, he is getting a whole lot of buzz about Oscars. Career best. Career best. And Christopher Nolan has been looking and looking for a movie that he can put Killian Murphy at the top. Because he loves this actor. I love this actor. So do you. Yeah, he is one of those guys that has been around for the last, like, 15, 20 years. Yeah, he's always a background character. Yeah. He is just somebody who makes your movie better. But he is 
good at range. Like, he can play the terrifying, chilling yeah. psycho. He can play really heartwarming. He can be really tough. Yeah. We'll see. He's playing a scientist here. <laughs> Betsy and I were literally laying in bed the other night, and I said, hey, remember how Killian Murphy is in In Time? Yeah. <laughs> that's a movie he made. Oh, that's a movie. But you, you know what? He's good in it. He's good in it. And if you haven't seen In Time... Take the time, take the, excuse me, take the time. (laughs) (laughs) Sit down and watch it. Sit down and watch In Time. The first two-thirds of the movie are brilliant. The last just end with a wet fart. The whole movie is, it has problems. It's not perfect, but it's worth at least seeing once. Yeah, and of course we're talking about In Time because there's not really much to say. It's the origin story of the race to make the atomic bomb and everything that is involved in it. And Oppenheimer gets top billing, if if you will, when it comes to like the the big scientist who is at the forefront of this. But of course, you also have a guy, a, a guy you may have heard of before, Albert Einstein. Yeah, he he took his theory and made it practical. I don't know how he actually did it, but I know he was involved. I suspect they're going to go into that in this movie. Yeah, and I don't really know like how much science really is going to be in this, or if this is just going to be kind of a talky interspersed with like a lot of like bomb footage and like this whatever that Christopher Nolan made up to make his bomb footage. I'm really curious about that. And the only other thing that I've really heard about this movie is that the sound is top-notch. It is designed to make you feel everything. Yeah. Yeah, the only other bit I know is we're going to get some of the returning players from other Christopher Nolan movies, Mm -hmm. other things that he has done franchises. Yeah. As well as... There is a running joke where every 25 seconds it feels like someone else you recognize is in this movie. Like Uh, every bit player, every guy that you saw on that one thing one time. mm -hmm. So we're going to be playing the Hey, I Know That Guy game this whole movie. Yeah, and that's going to be something that entertains you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. But I think that's about what we know. I'm excited. We're going to complete this experience now. We are going to the theater. We are seeing Oppenheimer 2023 Part (laughs) 2. And we'll be right back. back. Trent, that was Oppenheimer. Is our series ending with a whimper or a bang? (laughs) Um, Christopher Nolan doesn't do small movies. Not anymore. No, no. And I'm not referring to the length. My my bladder hates the man. (laughs) But this movie is big in scope, in length, in acting prowess, in almost everything. Everything that you can imagine. It's excessive, but it doesn't feel excessive. Everything in there is necessary. Yeah. This movie could have been four hours, and it still would have fucking cooked. I did not really look at the time until around the third act starting. Yeah, I was remarking that it moves, and I think that 
There are a lot of winners in this movie, but the ultimate winner in my book is the fucking composer. Yeah. 90% of this movie has a score behind it. And we read right before we sat down here, the instrumentation is very deliberate. There is not a single drum in any of this. Because Christopher Nolan said when he when he described why he didn't do why he didn't have any drums is because drums signify the military because, you know, a drum beat and the marching, marching marching of soldiers and things like that. Oppenheimer himself wasn't doing all of this for the military. He wasn't doing it to win a war. He was doing it for science because he could. And because we were in a situation where he had to. Yes. He felt was, he had to. He felt it was necessary in order to keep up with the Germans, with the Nazis, because he had a personal stake in this. He knew what was happening in Germany. He was he was Jewish. Yeah, he knew that if we didn't, someone else would. Yeah, and he knew that they were un- a unique threat, and he trusted that the U.S. government, the U.S. military, would have restraint. He didn't trust that the Nazis would have the same restraint. But yeah, that's a lot to say, but the score is really good. <laughs> it's true, though. All of this stuff, and I'm going to sit here and really not make a lot of jokes because, good God, when I say this is big, it's just the concepts as well. It is the feelings and the, the heaviness of the burden that this man carried after the fact and during it. I don't think you can describe this movie as anything other than a phenomenal achievement yeah. for everybody involved. I think anybody involved here should be proud of, of the work that they did. It is just a phenomenal effort. It comes through in every single aspect that you are looking at and seeing and remembering. Like, on the drive back here, I was just kind of going through through my head all of the different feelings that I was having. And all of them were, like, sorrow and somber. And I, I'm glad that people finally really have this this exposure to the story of this man and the things that he went through just in this uh, portion of the of his life that is uh, put on screen and i'm sure the man himself was a lot deeper than even what we're covering here oh the the long and short of it is this man is complicated like yeah. you could literally oppenheimer it's complicated yeah <laughs> that could be the subtext for this entire movie because he is a man had a history he was a human being who had a lot of mistakes in his life yeah but he was also a fucking genius who introduced a concept to the united states that the united states really wasn't doing the science wasn't there right he brought quantum physics as a concept to the u.s he started off his his tenure at this college with a single student he had this theory to teach, and the, even the guy who was there wasn't all that into it. He was, like, not very confident that he was going to be able to understand it, but Oppenheimer had the confidence that, okay, I know how to teach this stuff, and if if you're willing to sit in here to a brand new concept, then I'm with you, buddy. I appreciated that that guy was with him pretty yeah. much the rest of the movie, yeah. and he just kept looking at him saying, you're going to be fine. Right. You're going to be fine. So it's this big movie with... Definitely three distinct acts, but it's yep. also edited together. So you're seeing kind of the past leading up to a point mm-hmm. and then the future, like the present slash yeah. the future. And I really enjoy that a lot of filmmakers, I mean, Kenneth Branagh did it with Belfast, 
who is also in this movie. Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, he didn't pioneer this, but he featured it in Belfast in that the different time periods in the past is black and white and the future slash present is in color. But no one's doing it in reverse. No here. one's doing it in reverse, exactly. And it really helped me, of all people, because I have a hard time when there's a lot of complicated things going on, especially time timelines. This really helped me up until the point where they both converge. And that's where it all is, is revealed. And that's another winner in this movie, is the editor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. I'm going to look him up later, because the pacing could be a slog. This movie could be so long and dry. It could be just a dry piece of shit that even us as history buffs would scoff at. Yeah, and because it is so well edited together with the score, it really knows how to build the tension. Like, I was feeling genuine anxiety when they were putting the core into the bomb right before they're going to drop it and do the test. When they're literally just... Putting it together and the strings are like building that emotion inside of you. Yeah, when they're about to do the test, the strings really get you and they just never go away. No, and I'm like in the chair kind of holding my breath. Yeah. Even though I know as a moviegoer and as a history person how this is going to go, how this is going to end. As a film viewer, I couldn't help but be sucked into this moment. Yeah. And then, of course... The other element of this is sound. Like you said in the intro, the Mm -hmm. sound design is just extraordinary where they are dropping the bomb and there's all this cacophony and noise and people getting ready and running around and then they drop the bomb and the sound cuts entirely and all you hear is him breathing. Yeah, and I made note of that as well. Like that is, again, it's another brilliant way to to depict... Everybody is on bated breath here. Nobody knows what's going to happen. There is a very small chance that this could be the worst possible thing that could ever, ever, ever happen. We could literally end the world right now. We could literally set the atmosphere on fire and it would never burn out. No, the world would just run out of oxygen and everyone would die. Exactly. Those are the stakes. Again, that's even in the trailer, a non-zero chance that we end the world by pressing this button. But where the way they demonstrate it, the way they show that when they say, okay, here's the worst case scenario. They actually give you an image of the world on fire, like all of the air burning. Yes. Let me tell you, if that does not give you fucking nightmares, Mm -hmm. like that is the kind of world ending anxiety inducing internal like why am i here and what is the purpose of everything that's the kind of dark thought that people have is what if the world just blew up one day imagine if you were minding your own business and then you just heard a rumble and the entire world around you exploded and you had no warning and no notice that is the stakes that they were dealing with Mm -hmm. when they made this and that's why you have so many different people from different walks of science all coming together at the same time you you compartmentalize them yes but at the very end you bring them all together and say okay these are the worst case scenarios that we came up with let's put them together with yours and see if 
they go together. Check the math. Yeah. Again and again and again. And again, I, I like the fact that Oppenheimer and a bunch of other scientists, even Einstein himself, say, hey, we're not all that good on mathematics. We're good at physics. Yeah. <laughs> you, you math nerds go over there and crunch your fucking numbers. We're going to be over here doing real science. We have our own version of math, but it's very limited to this particular type of science. Exactly. Uh, to to kind of go along with the the you know the, the world ending kind of thing i'm reminded of the end of the first season of the walking dead okay they go to the cdc and within the cdc is a bunch of different kinds of diseases that they that they keep on ice and at this point the world is in a bad place and there is a contingency if there is a catastrophic loss of power and I don't know whether or not this is true or not. It probably is some kernel of truth anyway. But the fail-safe for the CDC to prevent all these diseases from getting out, let alone the fucking zombie virus or whatever the fuck that, that is. <laughs> Whoever's left ha- still has stuff to deal with. Exactly. The contingency here is there is a bomb, let's say, that goes off at the CDC. The way they describe it is it sets the air on fire. That's what they're dealing with here, but on a much larger scale. The entire atmosphere. You know, the thing that we need to survive. Yeah. Kind of important. So when they introduced that concept in this movie, and I'm sitting here realizing, you know, this is a real conversation and a real theoretical problem they had to work out. Right. That's a heavy, heavy thought. Right, and... You know, they describe it here. One guy come up, comes up with the math and they kind of pass it around and they all check each other's work and say, okay, how did you come up with this? Like, how did you like discover that the exponential growth of the fission bomb would just keep on going? Like, where did you get that? But it's not really them thinking, oh, your thing theorizes that the world is going to end. No, they're all still being scientists. They're still being fucking nerds. Like, coming up with this, <laughs> these concepts, they're fascinated by it. Oh, yeah, when they do the math a bunch more, like, Oppenheimer goes to check the math with Einstein because he's the guy that kind of came up with the whole right. principle to begin with. While he's gone, they're doing the math and they are proud to report there's a near zero chance. And suddenly they all feel a lot better about right, it. Right. He brings him the little, you know, cocktail napkin scratches to Einstein. And they say, well, yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's possible. And meanwhile, there's an entire group of people back at the college working out the numbers in real time and like using whatever rudimentary computers they have to run the numbers again just to make sure. And I think the most fascinating thing that they do here is that if it comes back and they say, oh, there's a much higher than zero chance of the atmosphere being set on fire and everybody burning uh, alive at the same time, they say, we're going to share that with the Nazis and say, hey, I know what you're doing. This is our math. If you do this, not only will we die, you'll die as well. Everyone will die if you do not take this into account. Exactly. And there is the birth of deterrence. Like, if you have this thing and you set it off, guess what? We're going to do the same thing. But in this case, it's by mistake. Like, if you don't do the math correctly, if you don't work it all the way out and you fuck up, guess what? Everybody's gone. There is an interesting 
through line here where you're seeing what the Americans are doing and they're talking about what the Russians are doing and what the Germans are doing. Yeah. But because these are men of science, they care more about the science and getting it right and doing what's right for humanity. And they don't really give a shit that they're Nazis or they're Russians. They're yeah. just like, we just really need people to understand the consequences if we all fuck this up. Because right. as the scientific community, we're going to be the ones held responsible if something goes <laughs> wrong. If there's even, uh, you know, an aftermath. This is true. I don't think anyone would be around to point fingers if the exactly. world ignites. And but. it's really hard to even talk about that kind of a thing without stepping outside of yourself and, like, thinking of the consequences of that happening. Like, uh, there's just nothing left. There's there, just nothing left. There can't be a consequence. Yeah. But that's why they're trying to work out the problem before they cross that bridge. Right. And they they voluntarily say, oh, if we find this out and it is a much higher chance, we're going to stop the program. Like, all of us will refuse to continue working on it. I don't care what the government says. Fuck you. We're Fuck done. the government. We're done. <laughs> we're not going to do this anymore. And we're going to share our results with the Nazis. That right there shows you that the scientific community are members of the best of humanity, but at the same time, they are helping to serve the worst urges of humanity. The worst impulses, the worst, yeah. the worst way you could possibly take this theoretical science and right. make it real. Right. And like the movie also shows a bunch of other scientists that are on the fringes of this community where yes, they're helping out with the, the rest of the project itself, but they just don't want to have to do it or like they're 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 putting out a petition saying hey uh the germans are defeated the japanese are reeling and let's just say hey we're gonna stop working on this because we don't want you to use it we've won the war it's fine we don't need to do this anymore there's the faction of the scientists that are more concerned with the moral repercussions yes. yes, and they withdraw from the project or they don't get involved in the project at all. Sure. They're like, we understand what you're doing. Fine. Do it. But we're going to go and be the voices of reason mm -hmm. and be the people that are informing those who need to know right. what the possible outcomes are. Yeah. Like Kenneth Brown, like you said, shows yeah. up and he says, the world isn't ready for what we are about to unleash upon it. Right. And I need, someone needs to make them alerted to this. Yeah, he gets plopped into this entire project because they've been trying to get him out of German hands for all this time or whoever has, whoever's got him. They finally get him there and he's bringing whatever his knowledge is, including the fact that the Germans actually did the wrong thing. They discovered something that they thought was correct, but they went the wrong, they, they took a wrong turn, essentially. And it set them back. And it set them way back. So then all the other scientists say, hey, we're ahead of them now. What in, in reality, what you're doing here is you're not realizing that, yes, you are ahead, which means you have the upper hand, which means the first person that can use this weapon is you. You're not going to use it as a defensive thing. It's an offensive thing. Yeah, it suddenly becomes your decision and what yeah. are you going to do with it. Yeah. And when they finally achieve it, like I said, it's complicated. There is a lot of pride and they have been working at this great expense yeah. for a great amount of time, taking something that they as scientists are only barely able to understand and yeah. making it real. They're on the fringe. And they fucking did it. And yeah. that is 
an exciting thing for any scientist that mm -hmm. your work actually pays off. But there's also this simultaneous moment of, well, fuck, we did it. Yeah. Now what? And they show it throughout. Like, there is a reason all of the communism and the liberal thought and the unionization that there's kind of that through line here yeah. because this is the community that is concerned with things like that and if we band together maybe we can make a difference so when they all together create this weapon of mass destruction the bomb there's a reason it's called the bomb yeah you know this is the bomb to end all bombs when they do it they can't help but be excited but also the way that Nolan edits it, this yeah. guy is like, well, fuck me. And yeah. then afterwards is when he starts saying, please, you need to understand what it is you have mm -hmm. and be really careful with what you do with it. And Oppenheimer believes that because of the existence of this bomb and after you use it, he believes that war itself is over because we have won all war. From here on out, because we made this, because we used it, no one would ever try to try to go after us. But discounting the fact that so much of the, the information that came out of this Los Alamos facility got leaked out there. There were spies all over the place, but they allowed it to happen because if they didn't allow so many people in here, like wives and girlfriends and kids and whoever else, if they didn't let this happen, it wouldn't have gotten accomplished. You wouldn't have gotten all the scientists to come there in the first place. No, who the fuck wants to go to the so, middle of New Mexico? <laughs> yeah, the, so, so the place was leaking like a sieve and all this information was getting out there, including the idea of other kinds of bombs that got leaked to the, to the Soviets who then, you know, they're starting to create their own kinds of stuff. And that's where it shifts from defeating fascism to being in the Cold War with the Soviets. Listen, I don't know if you listeners out there understand that the United States government, especially in the 20th century, had absolutely no problem with using whoever they needed to mm -hmm. to get what they needed done. Yeah. And it's just as soon as things would shift they would suddenly turn their back. So what yeah. happened to Oppenheimer actually makes a ton of sense. Sure. Because in the 20s, 30s, nobody gave a shit. There were all kinds of communist party members and related activities. It was a time where in the United States, it was sort of a shitty time to be an American. And this is creating an opportunity for stuff like that to thrive. It wasn't until the 1950s and the McCarthy mm -hmm. era mm -hmm. that the Red Scare and the the Cold War yeah. and the the fear of the Soviets and the bomb. Like, yeah, like they say to... at the end of this movie, this is the first chapter of the next story. Right. And again, this is the beginning of the Cold War with the Soviets and they're off doing their own thing, creating their own bombs. And we're over here trying to like... We, we've kicked Oppenheimer to the curb. We've kicked all these other scientists to the curb. We have the data. We have the science already. So let's introduce and, and just provide the next group of people to come in and start building different bombs, new bombs. Oh, yeah. This was also hand in hand with when we were taking all the Nazi scientists and making the space program. Sure. You know, there's a lot of this that the United States government is very guilty of doing. And it's just 
well, you know, we got what we needed out of Oppenheimer, so now let's discredit him yeah. and get him out of our way. Right. Because now he's become too vocal, he's too public a figure, yeah. and he's too big a problem for us, so let's just nip it in the bud and get rid of him. Yeah, and you know, I, I kind of credit Oppenheimer's, like openness with his opinions and yes he was a liberal yes he supported a lot of like communistic if that's even a word uh policies and whatever else i credit the fact that he's very open with this stuff to the fact that he spent a lot of time in europe as a younger at man at the time that he did especially. as a younger man because americans especially now are very repressed when it comes to expressing their opinions about where they see the world and this is before, like you said, the Red Scare and everybody was up in arms about communists. Well, in reality, in the 20s and 30s, you were allowed to be a communist and live and let live. And of course, we are not endorsing anything here or no. we're just saying it is okay to have different kinds of opinions and voice them. Well, and they show that in this movie. He's like, I don't give two shits what their opinions are about right. politics. Right. I care that they're good at science and yeah. I need them right now. And he is his own person. He is out there not joining the Communist Party. He would, he would ha like like they say in the movie, you would have had to give money to them and pay dues and you get your card in the mail. <laughs> That's why they say a card carrying communist. That's right. It's a real thing. Or at least it was anyway. I don't know if they are now. <laughs> I'm, I we are not communists on this podcast. I don't know that they <laughs> They would nail you a card. Like, if you are registered for any party, do they no. send you a card? No, he says it himself. Thank you for joining the Communist Party. Well, they did anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, he says he is an FDR New Deal Democrat. He is an a big government liberal. He believed in the programs that FDR instated to yeah. get that country out of a really dark part of their uh, our history. Our country, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, you know, you could call it socialism. You can call it whatever you want to call it. It is just the fact that you are not another. You are, you are still a capitalist. You still want the country to remain how it is. You just want it to go into a different direction. You're not trying to, like, change it from within like these other, the Communist Party was trying to do. So... Because you are hanging around with and espousing some of the, the, the platform, let's say, he's trying to organize the professors. He's trying to organize unions. He's trying to unionize people. And that's all well and fine, but not in this project. Because the project is separate from your own lives. You are uprooting your life to transplant yourself to New Mexico to work on this thing. And then you can have your union outside of this thing. I understand them having a problem with that. And of course, after they succeed and he becomes this world famous scientist and he yeah. becomes very vocal, all of those things, like he, they say there's a line of dialogue where he believes his celebrity will protect him. Yeah, his fame. And that, of course, makes him that much more dangerous to them and what they want to do. Mm -hmm. They don't want somebody out there espousing how bad the bomb is and what a horrible thing they did like right. oh you have all these morals now but where were your morals a few years ago that's the thing back in those days you're on the cover of time magazine you're a big fucking deal and people are going to listen to you and respect you because that that was back when the media was highly highly respected if you are man of the year people are going to listen to you well, sure, when everything was in print and you could just go to the old newsstand yeah. and throw them a nickel or whatever. Back when there were <laughs> magazines. In those days. I mean, there's still magazines. They're just digital now. It's a slightly different time. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's bring it back to some more elements about the movie. Like we touched on, there are so many actors in this movie. There are 130 credited people on the IMDb page. Now, you've obviously got Killian Murphy, so let's just start with him. Yes. I agree with the consensus that everybody is having that it seems a foregone conclusion he's at least going to get nominated for Best Actor. Absolutely. Because he is doing... Some really subtle but interesting things here, specifically, and I don't know if you noticed this or if this is just the way I interpret it, the way he is speaking, his dialect that he chooses, and the way he is delivering his lines, it's almost like when you're watching a movie from like the 1940s, like that's actually the dialogue he is choosing. Like it had a little bit of James Mason, the guy in A Star is Born. It had a little bit of Orson Welles, just in the way he was inflecting his words. Yeah, and back then you were meant to be a man's man. You're meant to have this deep voice. You're meant to, you know, have this air about you. And he's like sitting on his vocal cords as he is speaking. And I believe you, I think that he is doing this intentionally in order to have this, this air about him. And not be this, this um, you know, like, for lack of a better word, a geeky scientist that, <laughs> that is just there to do science and then go home. Yeah, he is not a nerd. I would not qualify this man as nerdy, no. even though he should, by definition, be because it's quantum physics. And most people who are interested in that are very nerdy because <laughs> that is a difficult concept to understand. But the man's a fucking genius. Yeah. Like, just let's be real. Or they're a writer on Futurama. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Killian Murphy is doing this thing with his voice because that man's really Irish and he doesn't sound it at all. Like, yeah. at no point did I question his yep. his vocal range. Like, you know me. I pick up instantaneously if somebody slips all the time, I'm constantly noticing yeah. that, and he never did it. And there's a lot of different accents in this movie because people are coming from all around to help on this project. Yes, they are. And just throughout the movie, like, he shows a lot of internalized emotion. He doesn't have, like, outbursts. He doesn't do anything else. There are some moments where he's about to cry. Like, he's so overwhelmed with what is going on around him. Yeah. That is, like, the most emotion we get out of this man. But he's also... A hit with the ladies? So, like, yeah. he's, like, flirting with women and having sex with them. There are several sex scenes with him and Florence Pugh. Like, it's an interesting person he is portraying here. Yeah. Well, just to go back to what you just said about him, him like, having an, out- an outburst. During this hearing, when he's in the back room with all these other people... There is like this visualization happening, and this this is part partly the the director. It's also partly the actor, where the actor can't know what is going to be shown on screen. You have to just be told, okay, all around you, the room is gonna be like warbling, and there's gonna be all sorts of shit happening around around you. But that's the torment that you're you that you are going through by just sitting in this room and having to justify all of the different things that you did back. 20 years ago or however long it was that you didn't know 20 years ago were going to be a problem exactly so you being friends with someone where you had no ill intentions you had no intention of joining the communist party even though this one guy said at one point a very treasonous thing to you that you brushed off because yes he's a member of the of this party but I'm not going to follow through on that I trust myself and I trust him not to pressure me into doing that yeah, he's my friend exactly and he was honest throughout that entire thing when he when he was asked are you still friends with this person well yes friends 
doesn't mean that you're in bed with them, literally, doesn't mean that you are going along with everything that they do. I'm friends with a lot of people that I do not agree with. Oh yeah, he he has an affair with Florence Pugh. Right, who is a card-carrying communist. And he flat out tells her, I can't, because you're a communist. Exactly. Like, he knows himself, but he also knows that everybody has a right to be whatever the fuck they want to be. Right, and he is still a human. He is. He still cares for this person, and he wants to be there for her and inside of her. <laughs> you know? <laughs> With her, sexually. Oh, no, Betsy. When he says the line the first time, and now I am become death destroyer of wor- the world or whatever the fuck, he isn't inside of her penetrating her yes good god he's reading the original sanskrit (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) it is an interesting choice and he does it again later where he is recounting that they were sleeping together right but they are in the room right with the people but that is his wife that is picturing that she not is him. picturing the two of them together there's just something really strange about seeing killian murphy sitting there butt ass naked in a room full of dudes in suits just very serious like he is not naked <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was an editing choice i guess and i, I get that it's his wife's perspective but in this movie that is probably the most out of place, like unsuspecting uh-huh. thing to happen. Yeah, and you don't really get the perspectives of, of other people much. You don't really get, except for Robert Downey Jr., which you want to just move on to him now? Let's move on to him. So another one that people are talking about oh, yeah. getting him an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. And at the beginning, I was like, okay, what he is doing is interesting. But then there is an absolute shift. Spoiler alert, he was the villain the whole time. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of a twist where he basically was embarrassed by Robert Oppenheimer in a public forum and he never got over it. Mm -hmm. And so he took it upon himself to discredit him and just basically ruin his fucking life. Yeah. And so at the end... The scientific community chooses Oppenheimer over him. Yeah, even though they had some differences with Oppenheimer and how he did things, and he might have some questionable past, but he is brilliant. He did everything that he did that he did with good intentions. And the scientists see that. Yes. And so, doesn't matter what their opposing opinions are, they also know a witch hunt when they see one. Yeah. Let's bury the hatchet. Let's defend this guy because he led us through through hell in order to get where we are, and he helped end the the war, so to speak. So they have this respect about him, and they're not about to have this fucking hatchet job done to him, at least in public. Because if it happens to him, it could happen to any of them. Right, because the worst thing that happened that is depicted in the movie is him losing his security clearance, which means you are no longer allowed to work in this field. You cannot consult on things. The Downey Jr. character... All he is trying to do by getting him pushed off into this other institute uh, is to get him out of public service, to get him out of this thing because he wants to fucking destroy him in this community. And it doesn't work because, of course, it's just the nail in the coffin when all the scientists say, yeah, no, that guy sucks. Yeah. And we side with Oppenheimer and he's trying to get a cabinet position with Eisenhower. Yes. And he does not get it. And in that final scene where he just basically you know, reveals his evil plot. <laughs> kind of. There's kind He's of this kind of a Bond villain. Where he just immediately goes into, this was my plan and this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to play out. Yeah. And he has this kind of big outburst and then he has to go out and face 
the the news reporters mm -hmm. and tell him I fucking failed basically. Right. But he's still pissed off about well, it. Well, like the evil plot is revealed and he says, "Yes, I work in the shadows." <laughs> and like I pull the strings. But and then the guy who's trying to help him, it's like, "But sir, you're out in the open now." Yes, that's why we have to win. And I don't know what the hell happened to this guy. I don't know his his backstory whatsoever. If there's anything that I want to go and look up after this thing, anytime we watch a movie that has a lot of historical things, I always want to dive deep into something. I want to dive deep into him. Yeah, it's interesting how we got here because he was the one that is trying to recruit Oppenheimer to work for him to run this place that he's a part of. Right. But because he feels personally slighted, that is more important to him. Right. He even like goes over and says, okay, this is the campus. And then, oh, it's such a, it's such a nice walk through, you get through that the house. garden. You get this house. We're going to set you up. Oh, hey, there's your friend, Albert Einstein, just <laughs> hanging out next to the lake. As you do. As you do. <laughs> as you do as a world-renowned physicist. But that's how he literally from that moment decides that they must be talking about him. Yeah. And there is this air through the whole movie from a lot of different parties that is really good at depicting the paranoia that a lot of people felt at this time. Uh, from, yeah. from the 1930s all the way to the McCarthy era. There was just a lot of nervous people mm -hmm. going around. And he sees him talking to Einstein and just assumes it's about him. Right. The way that people with social anxiety assume that the entire world is always thinking about them and everything they do. It's like, most people don't give a shit. But in reality, these two scientists, all they're talking about is themselves. Yeah. Really. They literally have not considered you at all, dude. Right. It's it's the uh, John Hamm meme from Mad Men saying, I don't think about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> But in this role, Robert Downey Jr. is really good. Like, people are talking about, you know, the world of him as an actor post-Iron Man. Like, sure. That was, for a guy that started in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, really strong start, problems with drugs, went to prison, then he became Iron Man. This is a man who's had an arc. Yep, <laughs> Let's just yep. say that. After Iron Man, what does he do? He doesn't have to work again a day in his life if of he doesn't not. want to. He's of made so not. much fucking money. And when he gets an opportunity to work with somebody like Christopher Nolan, and he's probably going to get another nomination for Best Supporting Actor, I'm here for it. Like, he was great in this. And yes, he was. it's interesting to see him just older, like an older Robert Downey Jr. They also, they doctor him up a bit. He's also a in black bit. and white the entire way, so you don't see everything. But yes, he does look older, and he is allowing himself to be older. He's not doing all the shit that a lot of guys do no. when they get about that age. <laughs> but I agree, where you also have the, the heel turn on him, where he finally dis, uh, reveals his evil plot to try to get confirmed, okay, this is a completely separate thing, confirmed as Commerce Secretary. What the fuck is this guy doing? Because he sold shoes? Like, is that his thing? I don't know. They don't really explain it. Yeah, and I understand, like, okay, everybody is, like, glad-handing everybody and paying people off in order to get the highest possible position everywhere. What I don't know is just where this guy came from. Like, how did he get access to all of these other people? How did he get access to the fucking FBI file and all this other stuff to try to take him down? I think it's just, I, they said he was like a senator or something, didn't they? I don't know. He's an admiral. An admiral. Okay. I think he's just got enough connections 
that he was able to do this. Like, he, they show him with Dane DeHaan in a secret room saying, oh, well, that guy was at Los Alamos, and so he's got a vendetta against him, too, and I'll right. use him to get the files. And, yeah, I think he's just got connections. And maybe because, like, maybe the Casey Affleck character had something to do with it because he, he was in the military, and, yeah, I don't know. Basically, the military is out to screw this guy. I guess. There's a, there's a group of people. Like, there's a line in here that says... You're not only self-important, you're actually important. Right. But that just goes to show you what an opinion they have of him. He rubs people the wrong way. He's yeah. just very blunt and factual, and he, you know, is not very good. Like, they have the line, you couldn't run a hamburger stand. He's right. like, no, I know. No, I know that. <laughs> I'm that. I'm an asshole. And then at that point, in, in that in particular scene, he just goes immediately to the chalkboard and says, okay, this is how we're going to organize the Manhattan Project. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't run a hamburger stand to make money. No. I, I, yeah, that's it's a weird thing. So there's a lot of people that just feel personally insulted by his existence and how yeah. they were treated. So it positions people against him. Right. And I think really the only reason why this project got off the ground and went anywhere is because the government, the military, and everybody else got together and says, I don't care what their background is. I don't care if they have sympathies to Russia or anybody else who might be like a, a, a semi-enemy or whatever else. I don't care if they are a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. Get them in here if they can help us build a fucking bomb. We need the dream team. Yeah. Sign As it were, up. yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some other people. So I think I have an opinion about one person that could be the dark horse in this movie. See if you agree with me. I think Emily Blunt might get a nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Like, at the beginning, she's not doing very much. But yeah. again, there's a specific thing I noticed she was doing that I'm pretty sure she was doing. Kind of a transatlantic, rich person thing mm -hmm. in the 1940s. People on the East Coast mm -hmm. who had money. Think of Jackie O. Think of Jackie O. Think of Katherine Hepburn, that yep. kind of faux British thing mm -hmm. because she's not doing her normal British voice, but she's not doing just a normal American voice. Yep. She's doing this kind of upper class American for that time. And on top of that, she's like a raging alcoholic, mm -hmm. but she's also fiercely defensive of her husband. Like that scene where she is you know, testifying. Oh yeah. That woman's got some balls. Yeah. Like she's just like, nah, fuck you. I don't like the way you're phrasing your questions. And I don't think I want to answer that. Right. Like the fact that everybody around them is like, oh shit, I don't think we can let your wife testify for you. And he says, no, no, oh, no. we are adults. We understand each other. Right. We've been through the shit. Yep. I and trust her. I like how Nolan goes back and like flashes on screen the different moments like of their life in that scene and when they refer to other people at different times in the in the movie where i think they when he goes when oppenheimer goes to the organizing meeting for this union of the professors and whatnot of all the other scientists they flash on a guy who was like organizing that thing when they say a name and there is a ton of names in this thing it's going to take me another couple of times of watching this movie for me to really get everything and it's all of the like present day people that I think uh, I'm going to have the, the worst time with. But I appreciate how he kind of flashes back to other people that we've met in the past to remind you, oh, that's the context for this guy. You're not expected to know everybody's name, but you're expected to understand the context in which he is talking. But I agree with you. That scene of her in doing her testimony, whatever it was, she just turns it on a dime and says, no, 
we're not going to do this. You're not going to try to trap me as the little house, the, the little drunk housewife that I am. I'm an educated woman. I married to one of the smartest people on the fucking planet. You don't think that I can defend him? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. And there's like even leading up to that where she's like, it has been him the whole time. Yeah. Open your fucking eyes. Yeah. Did you really think it was going to be this simple? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Let's go. She's his voice of reason right. kind of through this whole experience. All right, so those are kind of the big three that I think are going to come out of this movie when Oscar season rolls she, around. I, I agree with you. She might be a dark horse because there is something for her to do here. Yes, but there are a million other people in this movie, including one of the Safdie brothers from Uncut Gems. He wrote that movie and directed it with his brother. All right. You've got Gary Oldman. In one scene as right. President Truman. Boy, Gary Oldman just cannot get out of World War II. No, he cannot. Jesus. He's playing world leaders. Yeah, he won his Oscar for playing Churchill uh, only a few years ago. Right. And he hasn't done a whole lot in between then. No, not really. Once but he got his Oscar. He did a good Truman, though. He did. I, I like that. That was unexpected. I will tell you, somehow I managed to not yeah. hear anything about him being in this movie. Right. Uh, and, and by the way, that scene, we, we read that what he said about him, him being, what what did he say? Being a wimp or being a, a crybaby. That's what it was. He said, get that crybaby out of here or something to that effect. That was real. That's a real Truman quote. Yes. Because yeah. he also said, you know, he, he Oppenheimer said, oh, I got blood on my hands. Apparently, he uh, uh, Truman said... Oh, you think you got blood on your hands? I got twice as much, motherfucker, or yeah, something I, like that. Yeah, I made the call. Yeah, I dropped the bombs. Yeah, they don't give a shit who made the bomb. They care who dropped the bomb. Right, and I think the, the real context here is, dude, you think that you have guilt about what you did? I made the decision to do it. You don't have an entire country of people who are going after you. Yeah, boo-hoo. Yeah. Look at you and your little problems. Yeah. Get him out of here. Your little scientist problems. I don't want to see him again. I, I did the I did the deed. Yeah. Not only did I do that, I'm also ordering our own citizens to go to war and all this other shit. So, yeah, get out of here. Anyway, continuing on with the actors, we already kind of mentioned Casey Affleck shows up. Didn't know about him. No, not at all. Matt Damon we knew was in this. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to rapid fire some other ones. David Krumholtz, Josh Hartnett, Alex Wolf. Florence Pugh, Matthew Modine, Jack Quaid, Rami Malek. Rami Malek, that was another weird choice. Well, and I'm glad he had a relevant role later, because yeah. if he had just shown up in that earlier scene, it would have been weird. Holding a clipboard and not really being important at all. But no, yeah, by the end, there. he had something very important to do. Yes, twist, he is important. Yeah. Uh, and then the one that I had to kind of ask you about, and you weren't sure, but I looked it up and confirmed it. That tall scientist, the I think his name is Hans, is Gustav Skarsgård. Oh. Brother of okay. the other Skarsgårds and son of. He's one of the other. God he's, damn it. How many of them are there? There's like seven. They're like the Hemsworths. No, I'm, I swear to God, they're worse than the Hemsworths. <laughs> they're just less famous than the Hemsworths. Yes. Because there are like seven sons and about five of them are actors. And of course, their dad's Stellan. Yes. There is a ton of these nine feet tall Nordic sweet men. Nordic men <laughs> coming to invade American theaters. <laughs> So yeah, and those are just the ones that I knew the name of. It's otherwise just a veritable who's who of yeah. character actors that you have seen before. Yeah, and like a guy like David Crumholtz has been in our lives for a very long time. A treasure. Time. A yes. treasure. A treasure of a man and an actor and everything else. Yeah, he's great. I appreciate directors like this where they're just like, I have a lot of parts 
I'm going to get all the guys. Yep. But I will tell you, this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> there's just so many men yeah. having conversations about science. Yeah, there's like, there are some... two, there's like two women. One yeah. of them has to get naked like twice, yep. three times. Two, three times. And then she dies. And then the other one's drunk half the time. And there's one female scientist. And I think that's about right. it. Right. She's on the plutonium team. The plutonium team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I only had a couple more things that I wanted to cover here, and they'll, they'll be they'll be fairly brief. I promise you. Um, <laughs> one was when they had the meeting with the Secretary of War. Back then, by the way, it was the Secretary of War, not Secretary of Defense. For the first almost two hundred years of our country, that was the title of that of that guy. Yeah, they've changed what uh, we call it because people had a tendency to. Be war averse after yeah. the ni- the twentieth century. Indeed. So there was a PR stunt after that. But anyway, uh, when they had their meeting in that room where the Secretary of War is there, Matt Damon's there as the general, and we have a bunch of other people, including Oppenheimer. And the conversation here isn't that oh, if we're going to use the bomb, this is how we're going to use it. And I want advice from the scientific community that is helping develop this, and this is how we would do it. No, that's not what they're there for. They have already decided to use it. It's just where? Because they have already tested it, they know it works, and it is going to be shipped off and deployed. We're just deciding where we're going to do it. We've got a list of spots. Yeah. We're just going to pick one. Which, by the way, did you recognize the guy who is the Secretary of War? The guy who was at the center there. The one who he and his wife (laughs) honeymooned in Japan. They they vacationed in Japan. We're not going to bomb that place. We're not going to bomb Kyoto because it's got, you know, cultural significance. And it's beautiful. And it's really pretty. That was such a weird thing to say in that meeting. Did you recognize him? It took me a second. We've seen him in a movie before. I've seen him in many movies before, but the one you're thinking of, I couldn't name off the top of my head. The one I'm thinking of is Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Why of all the movies is that the one you're going to bring up? Yep. He's always the guy who was in the back. He's one of the cops and says, those, those punks are running. We're going to go after him. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. Somehow he's you, aged you quite a bit. You brought this whole podcast <laughs> to us, Stansdale. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so just the fact that this group of guys come together just to say, oh, casually, we've already decided to do it. And this, these, this is the list of 11, not 12, 11 places that we, that we might I, drop it on. I personally have eliminated that city as right. a choice. Right. But they say something about, hey, why don't we drop flyers to give people a heads up? Let's warn it. That's a thing they really did. They yes. actually did fly over the city with flyers saying, on such and such day, yep. we will be dropping a bomb. And so not get, just your, one. get your ass out of Hiroshima. Yeah, not just one bomb. They knew they were, they were going to do two. They didn't really say which ones. But again, the sentiment of the Japanese was... Yes, they would not surrender under any circumstances because their culture does not allow it or whatever the reasoning was until they use the bombs. Yeah, they say they will not understand what we have until they see it for themselves. Exactly. That is how extreme this situation has gotten. And not only just have them witness it, but witness it on their own people. And you can say a lot of things about what the United States has done, I don't know if that is something that we can really look back on and say it's the right thing that we did. No, I don't. No, no. Yeah, we're not going to get into a big debate Again, about that. Oppenheimer, 
It's complicated. <laughs> yes, and I know that there's a whole lot of people who have said, well, you, the, the, the Christopher Nolan did not bring any other voices. It's all Americans. It's all these guys. You didn't get any kind of voices from, from the Japan side or the German side or any other side but the U.S. Well, the movie's called Oppenheimer. This is his perspective. This is his story. It is from his point of view, most of the movie. Yeah. And he said his piece, and then they are going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think, moreover, this is the other thing I had. Moreover, this movie is about science and about scientists. And the David Krumholtz character said when Oppenheimer was trying to recruit him uh, for this project, and he says, no, I don't, wanna, I don't want to have anything to do with it because I don't want three centuries of physics to culminate in a weapon of mass destruction. And that is an admirable position to have at this point in history. You have the scruples to say no to this thing that might actually help win this war and save a whole lot of lives, but at the same time, provide the opportunity for future generations to do even worse. Yeah, we've created the thing that could destroy everybody. Yeah. Our love, our science, the thing we live to do. Yeah. Then, that's that's a heavy thing and, to have to face. And they don't go into it here, but the sentiment is... That the government, the military, whatever else, they use these scientists, use their ideals as scientists. They use them in order to make this bomb and they just shoved them off to the side afterwards. Yeah. And in reality, this place in Los Alamos is still there. It is still in operation. That's what they do now. Yeah. Oppenheimer said, shut it down. Give it back to the people who lived there before we took it over. Yeah. And Truman says... Fuck that. No. We're going to build up our arms. Exactly, because now we have to fight the Soviets. Yep. Now it turns into the Cold War. And it like at the end of the movie, the, the final scene is the conversation that he actually had with Einstein was, right. you said when I came here that I said we could start a chain reaction mm -hmm. that would change the world or that would end the world. That would end the world, right. And he says, I think we did it. Right. Like, that's fucking... And then you have oh, all, of the footage, <laughs> all the footage of the ICBMs just in their silos and, and, and all of the visions of all of the rockets being launched everywhere and you have the atmosphere all on fire. And really, yeah, this is a cautionary tale, but it's our own history. Yeah, and our potential doom if we yeah. act in the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah, it, this is a dark movie if you sit and think about it for too long you will depress the shit out of yourself right. and i understand like we're okay let, let's just talk about like the phenomenon that that is barbenheimer again because again we just covered barbie this is oppenheimer that is the order in which a lot of people have done it now the idea here is that okay oppenheimer is going to be the real downer like depressing thing i don't think it is because me as a historical guy, I appreciate learning where we are coming from, which teaches you where we're going to go. And the ideas here are still prescient to this day because the bombs still exist. And they're a lot worse than they, than they were. Yeah, and when tensions run high between any countries, that's the first thing that people think about. And yes, yeah. there exist ways to make this funny. Like, there's things in here about, he makes a joke about gallows humor. There are right. entire movies like Dr. Strangelove. Right, which is fantastic. Which is about making fun of the atomic bomb. Right. <laughs> you know? It's it's a weird thing, but... And that movie came out at the height of the Cold right. War. Right. 
So there is a lot here that you could go down a really dark rabbit hole, but I think they also just presented in such a fabulous way. This movie is fantastic. It just is. Yeah, it really is. And this is, I, I said at the, the beginning of this whole thing, this is a big movie with big concepts and big thoughts. And I think he fucking nailed it. Yeah. So with that, let's talk Oscars because this might be the time we talk about it before yeah. we get to the end of the year. This right. is going to get nominated. I'm going to go with 12 to 14. Like what's the most you can be nominated for? Every one of them. Because we've already said three acting potential nominees, yep. probably screenplay, probably score, probably directing, effects, special effects, sound, sound, dear God, yeah. the sound in this Oppenheimer movie. might fucking sweep. As yeah. much as you can sweep anymore, like it's not even a conversation. No, I think it'll be interesting how it plays out. I don't think it'll have the same problem that something like Banshees of Inna Sharon ended up with, where yeah. it got nominated for shitload and won nothing. I think this will win some things. Yeah. I think where I'm sitting right now, this is the one that's getting all the technical shit. And this is fucking August. Like, yeah. we have the entire goddamn Oscar season coming up at the end of the year. There's a Scorsese movie coming out. There's that fucking Bradley Cooper movie that you told me about the other day. <laughs> the Maestro yeah, movie. There's all sorts of different movies still coming out this year, but this one might fucking break the mold. I don't know. We'll see. We've got a lot of time between now and yep. then, but any other thoughts about Oppenheimer before we wrap this one up at long last? We've been talking no, a long time. No, and again, this is the end of our decade series, and last year when we covered... <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. We had no idea that that movie would have gotten so many nominations and so many wins and win Best Picture. So you know what? Maybe history will repeat itself. We've split, in a good way. Split our differences. We said this in the Barbie episode <laughs> yeah. where last year, like you said, the movie we covered for that year won maybe one of these two movies that represents 2023 will win Best Picture. Remains to be seen. Catch us again in fucking March or whenever the hell the Oscars are. We will see. But with that, we are going to wrap this up now. Thank you for sticking up with us for this decade series. As we move away from this, we would love to hear from you about any of the movies that we covered yeah. from 1963 all the way to present day. What do you think of the series just as a whole? Do you want us to do it again next year? We have fun with this one because it covers a lot of stuff that has been on our list for a long time. And it's always a good conversation between Bet Betsy and I about which movies that we cover and why for each decade. <laughs> well, and there's always weird little connections that it happened again this year like it did yeah. last year. Yeah. Margot Robbie showed up in two things. Right. Gary Oldman showed up in two things. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We don't have any emails today, but if you want, you can also message us on social media, which a few people did for a couple of our more recent movies, About Time and Barbie. We've got just a couple of comments from a bunch of people who really like About Time. Yeah. So we had Marin who said, About Time, I love this movie so much. Blake says, Great movie. And Kylie said, an all-time favorite. All right. So a lot of people really enjoyed that one. We're hoping to hear from some more of you. And you can elaborate on those statements. Yeah. We also got a tweet from Andy over at Fat Dude Digs Flicks. He has his own podcast about yeah. movies. So you should check that out. It's easy. It's Fat Dude Digs Flicks. Yeah, on everything. On everything. 
uh, he said, I often Barbied. So okay. he did both right. Barbie and Oppenheimer, but not in that order. All right. Saw both movies on the same day in a theater in Omaha. I thought Barbie would be a lighthearted palate cleanser after Oppenheimer, but it was instead a dive into my own existential malaise. Barbie is still definitely the more enjoyable of the two flicks. Yeah, when you're coming at a movie strictly for enjoyment, yes, of course, Barbie is, is the uh, the preferred outlet for that. But, you know, as a movie, I have to look at everything, and I think Oppenheimer has everything that I want in a movie. Now, am I, like, entertained? Mm, to a point. Barbie, I think, I had more fun. There's not a lot of fun in Oppenheimer. But that's the thing, is... Barbie is bright and pink and fun, yes, but yes. it is also, well, Jesus, now I'm having a sad time yeah. and an existential crisis of my own. Indeed. So it does fool you a little bit, but when you're looking at one versus the other, one is going to leave you feeling a lot happier than the yeah. other. Yeah, and maybe at the end of the year, we can have a longer conversation about this, uh, like comparing these two movies, but this is not the time. Perhaps we will, Trent. But thank you to all of you who reached out to us. We would love to hear from more of you about Oppenheimer, Barbie, any of the movies we did in our Decades series, yeah. or anything we have covered to date. We're done with Decades. We're d really done this time. Yeah. We're not going to do a sneaky third nah. 2023 movie. This is not a new movie podcast. No, even though there's one more to come out this month, we're not going to sneak one in there. But yes, we would love to hear from you. Email us, once again, neverseenapod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, like we said. Message us on there if you like. Comment on our posts. We could read those on the show as well. Also, share our shit. Yeah, yeah share it. Yeah, that really helps. We're doing fancy things. I'm getting so fancy. Oh, Betsy. I'm a grown-up now yeah. who knows how to do reels. Reels are They're a not thing. great, but I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends about us. We would love for them to also listen to this podcast. Click the link in the podcast description and you can support the show. We would also, more than anything, appreciate if you went to wherever you're listening to podcasts and rate us five stars, write us a review. That stuff helps grow the podcast as well. Yeah. But with that, that is it, Trent. That is the end of our decade series, the end of Barbenheimer. I'd love to thank you for coming with me once again on this journey. We're going to be doing some random episodes for the next few episodes. We haven't really decided what we're doing because, as we've said many times, we don't always have a plan yep. for this podcast. One more this month, and then it's a brand new month. And then in September, a couple more randos, and then, I yeah. don't know, maybe another series? I don't know. We'll see. We will see. But in the meantime, this has been Never Seen It. My name is Betsy. And my name is Trent. And we will catch you in the future. Bye-bye.